0: We're in a series on uh, the Psalms of Ascent, which is a group of psalms that uh, Israelites would have sung as they were on the way to Jerusalem to celebrate at the the Jerusalem Temple. And uh, we're going to read Psalm 126 today. And the way we're going to do it is we're going to read it all out loud together. So uh, you might want to look at the screen for the words because we might all have slightly different translations of the Bible, but we're going to all read the Word of God out loud together. So it's just six verses, so not too long, but it'd be great to hear all of your voices as we do that, so let's read Psalm 126 together. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negeb. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. This is the Word of God. If you want to summarize what living the Christian life feels like, you could use a very simple phrase, not even a full sentence, now and not yet. It's what it looks like to live the Christian life, now and not yet. There are things that God has already done, now, and there are things that God has not yet done, not yet. And part of growing and living as a Christian is learning to live in the uncomfortable tension of living in what God has already done, the now, but also recognising the not yet, things that he's not yet done. And I don't know if you notice, this Psalm is actually split between now and not yet. First three verses, they are thinking about what God has done, the now. And the last three verses, here are things that we want God to do that he has not yet done, the not yet. And I think this Psalm is in a sense quite a helpful map to guide us as we live lives as Christians but it might be helpful very often when you read a psalm particularly one like this it's helpful to know the story behind the psalm it's kind of the behind the scenes element of the psalm to know what is it they're actually talking about when they say the Lord restored our fortunes like what did that look like and so for those of you who perhaps aren't that familiar with um, the history of the Old Testament Israel ended up at one point in their history, ended up in exile in in the city of Babylon under the rule of the Babylonian Empire. And they were there for a few decades. But after a few decades, God set them free from exile and allowed them to return back to their land. And they came back to a completely devastated capital city, Jerusalem, with no temple there anymore. And they rebuilt the temple and they rebuilt the walls with lots and lots of rejoicing. There was a sense of joy but there was also a huge sense of anticlimax, because as they rebuilt the temple, those who were old enough to remember the previous temple realised this temple is nowhere near as good as the one that we lost to the Babylonians. They realised we have come back, the Lord has restored our fortunes and we are glad, but they also realised God has not fully restored our fortunes. There's a now, but there's also a not yet And that's what Israel experienced and actually that's what we experience as Christians. So as we look through this psalm, it's going to be a helpful map to help guide us in this uncomfortable existence where we live with what God has done but also the painful reality of what God has not yet done. But let's look at first the now. If we look at verses one to three, great thing about the psalm being so short is we can just reread the whole thing multiple times throughout the service. Verses one to three, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, We were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Imagine you're an Israelite. You've been living for a few decades, thousands of miles away from home and suddenly you're told you're allowed to go back home. It's safe. You can return back home there be many, many people in our world and actually people within our own church who are in a position where they are thousands of miles from home and unable to go back. And imagine hearing you're allowed to go back. Imagine how you would feel in that moment. And that's how the Israelites would have felt. They would have felt a little bit like it says in verse one. We were like those who dream. It's kind of the ancient Israelite way of saying, pinch me, I must be dreaming. You ever had that moment where you think, something is happening to me that's too good to be true. I know what's going to happen. I'm going to wake up in a few minutes. That's what's happened. Oh yeah, I'm starting to fly. It's a dream. And they're kind of going, this, this must be too good to be true. Pinch me. I must be dreaming. There was laughter. There was joy. There was happiness. And notice that their, their reaction isn't just, woohoo, amazing. Political circumstances mean that we can return home. No, they realise who it is who has liberated them. They realise, verse three, the Lord has done great things for us. And that is true for us as well. In fact, it's even more true for us. We can say the Lord has done great things for us because just like Israel, the whole of humanity was in exile. We were separated from God because of our sin. But because of Jesus, because of his life, his death, his resurrection, and the fact that he now reigns as king, we who once were far off in exile have been brought near. We've been reconciled to God. We've been forgiven. We've been adopted as children in his family. And we can celebrate about that. And we've been given the Holy Spirit so that we can experience the very closeness of God in the present, in the now. God has done great things for us and that leads to joy. That leads to a life of celebrating, of laughter, of saying, pinch me, I must be dreaming. That's the kind of response that it leads to. But if we're honest with ourselves, and if I'm honest with myself, very often it doesn't end up looking like that in my life. And I think one of the reasons is because you and I very often struggle with what I might call spiritual amnesia, which is the reality that we don't actively choose to reflect on what God has done for us. And human beings are forgetful, but that's one of the reasons that God gave us the Psalms. It's one of the reasons that God gave us the scriptures so that we can remind ourselves, oh, here's what God's done for me. It's one of the reasons that God gave us one another so that we can remind ourselves, here is what God has done. It's one of the reasons that God gave us good songs to sing so that we can remember what God has done. It's one of the reasons that God gave us communion so that we can remember what Jesus has done. And can I encourage, if you, like me, struggle with spiritual amnesia Use practices in your life that will help you remember the things that God has done for us. So that just as Israel does here, we can say, we were like those who dream. The Lord has done great things for us. So there's a now. God has done amazing things. If anyone tells you, yeah, you know what? You can't experience any of the reality of God's presence right now. You just need to hold on until Jesus returns. You can tell them, no, God has done great things. But there is also, and not yet, I don't know if you notice, the psalm changes tone completely when you get to the second half. Verse four goes from saying, we are glad, at the end of verse three, to restore our fortunes, O Lord. Well, I thought you said in verse one that the Lord had restored your fortunes. Why are you now praying that God would restore your fortunes? And at that point, an Israelite would answer, well, he has restored our fortunes. We've come back, we're out of exile. But have you seen the temple? Have you seen the city of Jerusalem? Have you seen the fact that we're still technically under foreign occupation? We're back, but we're not yet arrived at our destination. We're not where God's purposes are for us ultimately. There's a not yet element. Israel realised God has brought us back, but there's a sense in which we haven't fully been restored yet. And that's a painful reality to live in. In some senses, it's a slightly more uncomfortable reality than when you've not experienced any deliverance at all. Because you're thinking but I've come so far, but oh, I'm feeling that sense of longing for what God has in the future, but yet, and it's a painful reality to live there. And that is what the Christian life looks like. And it's important to realise that because otherwise we can end up having an overly triumphalistic attitude. And in its, perhaps its most extreme forms, it looks like the kind of so-called Christian teaching that you might get sometimes that says, God's plan for your life is that you would always be healthy, that there would be ne- never anything that goes wrong, that you would always know complete physical, mental, emotional well-being. And the problem with that is that that's not what we see in the New Testament. What we see going on is a mix of God has done amazing things. God has healed me. God has delivered me. God has solved this problem in my family. God has r- ransomed me from eternal condemnation mixed with I experience suffering. I experienced the reality of rejection from people. And part of the uncomfortable reality of living as a Christian is living not only in the now, but also living in the not yet. And realising that there are certain things that God will not completely do for us until Jesus returns. Until Jesus returns, as much as we pray for the sick and will see them healed and expect to see them healed, we will still be surrounded by the presence of sickness until Jesus returns and completely demolishes it all. And that's a painful reality that many of you have to live in right now, where maybe you've got a chronic health condition and you're faithfully praying, and we are praying with confidence that God would heal, but you've not yet experienced that. And that's a painful reality to live in. Until Jesus returns, we will live in a world where there is still sin, where, praise God, we've been forgiven for our sin. Praise God, he's given us the Holy Spirit so that we can increasingly not sin in the way that we used to. But until Jesus returns, you and I will still experience temptation. We'll still experience the reality of the power of sin trying to pull us away from God. We'll still experience the reality of other people sinning against us, wronging us. And that's painful. Until Jesus returns we will still experience the reality of death in this life. It's the last. 1 Corinthians 15 says it's the last enemy to be conquered and that is painful. Anyone who's ever been to a funeral will know that death is painful and there's no point denying that that's the case. And that's part of the difficult, painful tension of living as a Christian is that you have experienced an amazing deliverance but at the same time we are not yet where God where God's destiny is for us. And I think verses five to six actually help us. It's got a really helpful illustration to help us understand this so that we can learn not only to rejoice in the now, but also to live in the painful not yet without losing heart. And it talks about the idea of sowing and reaping. Verse five says this, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. And interestingly, the the idea of sowing is an image that's often used in the Bible to refer to what it looks like to live in the present as a Christian. It talks about the idea that this life is a little bit like sowing, and sowing is not the most exciting or joyful exercise. It involves hard work. Those of you, I can't imagine any of us sow massive fields regularly, but I imagine it's particularly in the ancient world where there's no tractors or machines, it's backbreaking work. You're, you're trying to I don't know, put all your seeds in the ground and there's nothing to show for it. There's just a load of dirt, soil on the floor and you're going, oh, there's a sense in which sowing is painful. There's a sense in which following Jesus in this life through all circumstances involves pain. It's a kind of sowing. And for some of us here today, we're currently in a season where we can particularly relate to this idea of sowing with tears. This idea that we are going through a time where following Jesus or just life generally with Jesus feels painful. And you're holding on to Jesus in it. It may be that for some of you, and I'm, I'm, I'm aware that in a church of this size it will be true, not just for the people I'm aware are going through it, but for others that I'm not aware, there will be family tragedy. There will be the pain of long term illness, there will be the pain of mental health problems. There will be the pain of rejection or relational breakdown. Or perhaps if you're younger, the pain of your parents' relational breakdown. And notice that this psalm doesn't say those who sow in tears should stop crying. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say just stop crying and focus on what God has done. The Bible never says that. This psalm tells us it is normal and right, that there are moments in our life where we sow with tears, where we experience pain. And we are really, really bad as a culture in the UK at acknowledging the reality of pain. To be honest, you you recognise that when you compare a Western funeral to a Middle Eastern funeral. There's almost a kind of, we don't want to display the emotion of pain. As you go to a Middle Eastern funeral, it's like we have no problem displaying the emotion of pain. And I do think that that's something that the Bible has to challenge us on and teach us as a culture, that there is a reality to pain and we don't want to be a church that denies it. We don't want to be a church that when someone is going through really difficult times, we pat them on the back and say, there, there, but look at all that Jesus has done. That's not the way that the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us you can look at what Jesus has done and yet experience depths of pain many of us can't even comprehend. And this Psalm encourages us that it's normal and okay to be in that situation. It's normal and okay at times to say, life just sucks right now. And it may be that if that's you today, it's not because you're being ungodly, maybe it's because you're sowing with tears. It's because you're going through a season of life where you are feeling the pain of living in the not yet in a particularly tangible way. And that's, we want to stand with you and we want to pray with you, if that's the case. And we'll have a chance to do that later as we take communion. I'd love us to take it in groups and particularly if there are some of you who are really feeling the reality of the not yet, I'd love to be able to pray with you as we take communion. But, and this is so important for those of us, well, for all of us, but particularly those of us who are going through really difficult circumstances, who are sowing with tears at the moment, we need to remember this, sowing leads to Harvest. Sowing leads to reaping. Verse five, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. There's a now, we experience the goodness of God. There's a painful not yet that many of us experience to varying degrees. But the idea with the phrase not yet is there's an end. Did you notice it's not the now and the never? It's the now and the not yet. And there's a day coming And it's getting sooner and sooner when Jesus returns. And at that point, the not yet becomes the now. At that point, there is no sowing of tears anymore. At that point, there is no pain. At that point, there is no suffering. At that point, there is no death. There is no breakdown of relationships. On that day, Jesus wipes away all of our tears and we experience life forevermore. And that means that we may sow in tears in the present. It means that we may weep, and many of us here may be going through that right now, but it's only temporary. It's only temporary. And that reality should drive us to the kind of prayer that I don't think we pray that much in the Western church, but that the early church prayed a lot, which is a prayer you can find at the end of 1 Corinthians 16. It's a very short prayer, Our Lord, come. The early church prayed for the return of Jesus. And I think we've kind of bought into a mindset in the Western church where we think, well, Jesus will return when Jesus returns. There's no point us like, yeah, it'll be great when he does, but there's no point getting too obsessed with it. And I think that's an alien way of thinking for the Bible. The early church said, Lord Jesus, would you return? In fact, in the Lord's prayer, your kingdom come. When is that prayer fully answered? It's answered when Jesus returns. So every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, what we're ultimately praying is, Jesus, would you return and put everything right? And I'd love us if we were the kind of church that grows in praying that kind of prayer that says, Lord Jesus, I thank you for what you've done. I also recognise the pain of what I'm going through at the moment and I want you to come back. I want you to return. I want you to put an end to this suffering. I want you to put an end to this injustice in this world that you would restore all things. Our Lord Come. Wouldn't that be a wonderful prayer to pray? So there's the now and there's the not yet. And it's painful and we want to acknowledge that. But I also want to encourage you that it's temporary. And realising that the not yet is temporary is one of the ways that many of the saints throughout history and many people even that we would know have lived their lives through very difficult circumstances keeping their eyes on Jesus. And before we take communion with one another, I'd love to finish by reading a few verses by the Apostle Paul, who was someone who knew what it was like to suffer because of the not yet. And he writes this. This is 2 Corinthians 4. I'm going to read verses 8 to 10 and then verse, and then verse 17. The Apostle Paul says this. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed. There's the pain of the not yet. We're afflicted in every way, but there's the hope that the not yet will become the now, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus might be manifest in our bodies. How can Paul say that? How can Paul say we're afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed? How can he say that we're perplexed, but not driven to despair? How can he say that we're forsaken, sorry, struck down, but not destroyed? How can he say that? He explains in verse 17. This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Or put in the language Of Psalm 126. Those who sow with tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. As we live in the now and rejoice in it, and as we also live in the not yet and mourn and weep in the midst of it, we can remember there's a day coming when Jesus is going to return. And on that day, everything sad will become untrue. On that day, everything wrong will be put right. On that day, everything evil, everything painful will be dealt with. And one of the wonderful ways that we can look forward to that day whilst delighting in what Jesus has done is by taking communion. Because communion is about the now. It's about what Jesus has done. We remember his body broken and his blood poured out. But it's also about the not yet. It's looking forward to the moment where we get to eat and feast with Jesus in glory. And so... I'd love it if we could stand and I'm going to pray quickly and then what we'll do is we will come down to the table and take bread and wine. For those of you who are followers of Jesus, we'll take bread and wine and um, I'd love it if, if there are some of you here today who are thinking, I, I really am experiencing the pain of the not now. It may be that you want to grab someone that you know well and just say, can we take communion together and can you pray with me? Or it may be that you know someone who is here who you think I'm not sure they would take the initiative to come and find me and you say can I pray with you can I take communion with you so that we can both live in the now and the not yet and remember Jesus as we do that so why don't we stand and uh, I'll pray and then we will do that all together father I thank you that Jesus died that he rose from the dead and that he has conquered and is risen and is seated above all things and so father I thank you that the end goal the destination is secure and father I thank you that we've got so much to be thankful for so much to remember but we also recognize the painful reality that it is for all of us at various points but for many of us right now of what it means to live in the present experiencing the not yet and so father I pray as we take communion together I pray that you would help us Help us as we experience communion with Jesus, as we partake and have fellowship with Jesus in this moment, that you would help us to keep our eyes on you. You would help us to know hope in the midst of difficult circumstances and help us to know what it is to have joy even in the midst of mourning, to have hope even in the midst of what looks like hopeless situations, Lord God. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, would you... Would you help us? Would you fill our hearts with your presence? Would you give peace and comfort to those who need it? Would you give overwhelming joy to those who need it? We pray, Father, that you would minister to us and help us as we uh, take communion together right now. We pray for this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we're ready, why don't we make our way down to the table and uh, take bread, take wine and pray with one another. And there'll be some music in the background as we do that, but let's spend a few minutes doing that all together.